Take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 8 this morning. Luke, chapter number 8. One seed and four hearers. Luke chapter number 8, I'll begin reading in verse number 5 this morning. Please follow along. And the word of God says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down. And the fowls of the air devoured it, and some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up with it and choked it, and other fell on good ground, and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he answered and said unto them, It is given to know that is, it, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that they might not see, and hearing, and seeing and they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taken away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. <clears throat> and that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches with pleasures and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Father, help us now this morning as we look at a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. One that, Lord, you've allowed me to preach on numerous times over the years. And Father, yet, it speaks to us again. Holy Spirit of God, make this word penetrate us. I pray that, Father, you'd help this preacher to preach with your power. Anoint me to have this message go forth for your glory. I pray, Heavenly Father, that your spirit would work in every soul in this Bring fruit through this message, your message, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I read a story about a lady who was hard of hearing, Sam and Charlie. And uh, <clears throat> her and her husband, they lived in Memphis, Tennessee. I've been there. Beautiful, beautiful city. And uh, they were on their way to Little Rock, Arkansas, the story is told. And they were pulled over by a state trooper who asked if the husband knew how fast he was driving. And his wife asked, what did he say? 
And the husband replied, he asked if I knew that I was speeding. And looking at the driver's license, the, the trooper said, oh, I see you're from not around here. Husband said, no, we're from Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, the wife said again, what did you say? And the husband told her, I said we're from Memphis. And the state trooper commented, he said, you know, that's interesting. He said, meanest woman I ever met in my life was from Memphis, Tennessee. And the man's wife said, what did he say? And the husband replied, he says he thinks he knows you. <laughs> now, how many of you think you're good hearers? Raise your hand. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you something. All of us could probably use some help in the area of hearing. Jesus cried out in this parable. He cried out, which means that, I mean, he was exclaiming something very loud. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. We, we hear that phrase, read that phrase in the Bible, in the, in the gospel accounts especially, numerous times. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. You say, well, yeah, of course. I mean, if we have ears, we're going to hear it, aren't we? Spiritually speaking, the Bible says that many people are dull of hearing. What does that mean? Well, it means that, all, all, all that although they can hear words being spoken, somehow the word never penetrates. Somehow the word of God never moves them. Somewhere along the line, God has has lost his touch on them. They can hear, but they're not getting it. In Luke chapter 8, we've got the story of four kinds of hearers. And uh, in, in all cases, the seed that is sown, the word of God, is the same. And the sower is the same. The difference in this particular parable is those that are hearing. Those that heard Jesus cry out, if you have ears to hear, hear. And so you have four groups. And they, they hear one message, and yet these groups are entirely different from one another. And if the ratio in this parable is at all significant, what it tells us is this. 75% of those that hear the gospel message, 75% are missing every time. Not that they didn't hear. It just didn't find a way in. 75%. Think of that. The truth of the matter is, is the Christian life begins with receiving Christ. If 75% don't get that message, then they will never know what it is to have sins forgiven and a home in heaven. They'll hope for it. They might even come to the place in their life where they think that they have it, but they don't know. They don't have a Bible knowledge that they have a personal, intimate, passionate relationship with Christ and therefore, a home in heaven. And they're not alone. Possibly as much as 75%. I 
I would think that maybe even the ratio is even higher than that. 75% are not going to get it either. If I look out into this audience this morning, people I love, and honestly, I don't know one heart in the room. I, I know my own heart. It would, it would really, really depress me if I thought that 75% of a group this large did not get the message. So, of course, he's talking about the world, isn't he? He's talking about the word of God being sowed into the world. And 75% of that's going to fall on deaf ears. Not that they couldn't hear someone saying something. Not that they couldn't hear the preacher preaching. It just somehow, it didn't reach their heart. It just made no difference. And so, the Christian life is made up of many opportunities to hear something and make a decision. Do you realize that every message that's preached in a church, when the invitation is given, every single person in that sanctuary makes a decision? Do you realize that we never leave here having heard a message out of God's holy word that we did not make a decision? Now, some made good decisions, and boy, God's, God's word got a hold of them, and, and they made holy vows and, and promises to God that they've held on to and have said, you know, uh, I, I'm going to change this because it needs to change, and I want that change, and change happens. And their life becomes more, more uh, uh, what do you say, more, more prosperous spiritually because of the decision that they made. Others make a decision basically to not make a decision. But to not make a decision is a decision. And so everyone in this room this morning, to the end of this service, will make a decision. They'll make a decision. And the Christian life is filled with that. Filled with all kinds of decisions. Decisions on how we're going to respond to God's word each time that we hear it. The first thing we need to see this morning in Luke 8 is we need to see what I call the unconcerned hearers. The unconcerned hearers. Verse 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear, <clears throat> then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe, see it, and be saved. So the whole purpose for this group, hearing the word of God to begin with, just like, just like in any church service, there's going to be people who are going to be hearing a gospel message the application of which to them is the redemption of their soul. Are they going to hear it? These unconcerned hearers, the devil removes that word just as quickly as he possibly can. And, and it's unfortunate because if that word would have found entrance into their heart, the devil wouldn't have been able to get it. But because, because that word fell on a stone,
wholehearted and could not find entrance into that heart, the devil was able to sweep in and just take that word right away. And by the time those people who ever heard that message, by the time they left that service, they didn't even realize what they'd heard. More so, they didn't even realize the opportunity that they had missed. The reason that this unconcerned hearer doesn't understand is, is, is not because he didn't hear with his ears. It, it's simply because he's unconcerned about spiritual things. You know, I know there's, there's times when people come to church to satisfy someone else. On Mother's Day, I think there's Christian mothers all over the world that, uh, <clears throat> that might say to a wayward son, boy, if, if you love your mom on Mother's Day, you'll come to church with me. Oh, we've seen it happen many times here. I'm always grateful for it. And by the way, I'm also grateful for a son that would love his mother enough to do something that he really didn't want to do in the first place. But understand, there are individuals that come into every church service unconcerned about spiritual things. Why are they there? Any number of reasons why they might be there. One of those reasons could be why, why do people get uh, caught up in religions that, and, and, and different things like that uh, that seemingly have absolutely no interest in spiritual things? Why do people go to church you know, week after week after week after week after week and yet nothing ever changes in their life. What, are, what is it they're attempting to do? Well, they're attempting to show God that they're doing something. They're attempting to prove to God, well, you know, you saw me in church. Well, listen, if all it took to go to heaven was just to show up in church, well, then congratulations, you made it. But we all know that's not true. In fact, the vast overwhelming majority of churches in the world are totally apostate and don't even preach the gospel. You couldn't get saved in, that, in those churches if you wanted to get saved. So <laughs> you've got some people that come in, they're totally unconcerned, they're, they're completely devoid of any interest in spiritual things at all. Why is that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, the natural man, the natural born man, not born again, but just born the first time of his mother's womb, the natural born man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they are foolishness unto him. The Bible says they're foolishness unto him. And, uh, and, and you've probably experienced this. You've talked to your lost friends or maybe lost family members, whatever it might be, and you have tried to witness to them possibly, and they think what you're saying to them is foolishness. Uh, they don't receive it. They, they don't want to hear about it. You might have someone say to you, you know, listen, I don't want to hear about the Lord. I don't want to talk about those things. Uh, you, you'll, you, you'll hear people say, there's two things I don't talk about. I don't talk about politics, and I don't talk about religion. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? They don't talk about things that are happening now, and they don't talk about things that are going to happen. And so you have people all over they're unconcerned about things spiritually. 
these hearers, they're not willing to give God or anything associated to God even a chance. I've never been able to figure out. I have 42 years I've been saved. And I've never been able to figure out what makes Jesus so scary. I mean, I wasn't scared of Jesus on day one of my salvation. I so readily accepted him as my Savior. I'm telling you what, I, 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 if there was any true, definite decision made by Gary Randall ever in his life, it was that morning in that hospital bed when I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and be my Savior. And boy, I meant business. And the thought of Jesus didn't scare me at all. But you know what? You mentioned Jesus around people, and all of a sudden they get sweaty. All of a sudden, I mean, I know you've heard me tell the story, but it's, I'm telling you, it's about half comical. I've, I've, listen, I've gone into hospital waiting rooms, and I've sat down, and, and, uh, and now I just have, my, I have the Bible on my phone. I have my Bible on every electronic thing, it seems like. But back in the day, I used to carry a little New Testament with me. And man, I'd, I'd sit in these waiting rooms. And, you know, hospitals were different up in Montana than they are here. Uh, here, it is so hard. To, and I can understand why. All kinds of gang activity, all kinds of stuff going on. I mean, it, it's kind of a different thing here. I mean, if you aren't, if you aren't directly connected to the patient, many times you're not even going to get through the door. But you know something? Uh, years ago up in Montana, uh, people would be going in for surgery, and I'd sit in a waiting room. I wanted to find out what the results were, and I'd be pulling out my little New Testament. And I'd just begin reading because nothing else to do right then. And, you know, the waiting room might have six, eight people in it waiting for news on various different things. I'd start reading my little Bible. And my little, I've got several little, hand, you know, little New Testaments. And a couple of them have Holy Bible on the front of them. And, and whenever I'd have that, I'd be reading that thing. The people in the room would look, oh, Holy Bible. Oh, man, they'd start getting nervous. They'd start getting sweaty. They're not nervous about whoever's in there having surgery. They're nervous about this guy who's holding up a Bible. They're afraid that Bible's going to enlarge itself to about eight by eight. And that sometime I'm going to jump up and, and come over and jump on them with a great big Bible. You know, whatever, whatever they can imagine in their minds, that, that's, that's exactly what they, And I have literally had this happen. I have opened up my Bible just reading it and, and not being a bother to anybody. And within 15 minutes, I have the whole waiting room to myself. I've had that happen. You say, no kidding? Yeah, no kidding at all. I mean, it is, it is unbelievable how scary the Bible is. And yet you wonder why, don't you? Christian, don't you wonder why? You're not scared of the Bible. You're here this morning. You're, if you're saved, you're not scared of Jesus. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I'm not scared of the Bible. I'm not scared of Jesus. I'm not scared of any of that. But there are people that are. There are people that are completely indifferent, and they want nothing to do with God, and they want nothing to do with the Bible, and they want nothing to do with Jesus. You see, if you were to ask those same people 
apart from church or apart from religion mentioned it in any way, if you were to simply ask them a question, do you believe in God? Most all of those people will give you an answer, yes. Yes, we believe in God. I believe in God. The problem with that is that James 2 and verse 19 tells us, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devil also believed and trembled. I've said this many times, you've heard it, but sometimes it shocks people to hear it. The devil is not an atheist. By the way, the devil is not an agnostic. An agnostic thinks there might be God. An atheist says there is no God. The devil is neither one. If you were to ask the devil, do you believe in God? The devil would say, of course. Only an idiot wouldn't believe in God. James, I mean, Psalm 14, 1. A fool hath said to his heart, there is no God. The devil believes in God, but he's not going to heaven. The devils that are at the command of Satan himself, they believe in God. They're not going to heaven. You see, there is an eternity of difference between believing in intellectually and believing on from your heart. I mean, people are missing heaven by 18 inches. They can't get it from here to here. And until it gets here, you aren't saved. By the way, I believe in George Washington. I believe, I believe he was the first president of the United States. Um, I, you know, and, and I, I could sit here and name off a bunch of historical facts. I believe that intellectually. I've never met George Washington. I've got a picture of him kneeling next to his horse in my office. I neither know his horse, neither do I know the man kneeling. Someone painted a picture and said, that's George Washington, and that's George Washington's horse. I thought it was a neat picture. So it hangs in my office. But you know something, beloved? That's what a lot of people have as far as a relationship with God is concerned. They believe in God. Of course, they have an intellectual belief in God. But it's not here, so it never goes anywhere. It never goes anywhere. And so they stay unconcerned. They, they can put their faith in a lot of other things in their life, but they have no interest in having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not at all. In Matthew 13 and verse 13, the Bible says, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. You see, the reason why Jesus spoke in parables was because along with the, 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 the crowd that was always around the Lord, this multitude of people that always followed him around, waiting for the next miracles to take place, the next time that they can get fed for free, or whatever the case may be. Listen, those people are forever with us. They didn't want Jesus for who Jesus was. They wanted Jesus for what they could get. And then along with that crowd would be also a, a, a 
a, a probably a pretty good contingent of the religious folks, the religious crowd, the hierarchy of religion in Jesus' day. Scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, they're lawyers, and they're all, they're all buzzing around the Lord Jesus everywhere he goes. Why? Because they, they're, they're just listening for the next thing that they can catch him in. They, they want to catch him in his words. They, they want to, they, you know, they want to trap him in something. And, of course, they were never able to do that. They could hear him speaking, but it was like, I don't know, you know, I might be using an illustration that doesn't, doesn't, you know, doesn't ring home to you, but I, re I remember, uh, you know, even as an adult during Christmas time, you know, uh, we would we would turn on the TV and be Charlie Brown Christmas. Anybody remember Charlie Brown Christmas? Well, look at you. Yeah. And uh, and uh, they don't have that on anymore. That's that's too innocent. We got to have something else on there that bleeds. But uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. And the, the 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 part that I really liked was when Charlie Brown got in trouble in school, because that was most like me. I was outstanding in school. I really was. I was outstanding in the hall more than I was in the classroom. But, but, but honestly, you'd have, you'd have Charlie Brown talking, and then they would have the teacher talking. Remember how the teacher sounded? Wah, 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 wah. Well, you know what? All these people that are following Jesus around, they can hear the words. He can hear the words, but the words sound like, I mean, why? Because they don't want to hear them. Because they were spiritually unconcerned. Unconcerned. Listen, you can, you can find these folks all over the place. And, and they're the unconcerned hearers. But we come to another group of hearers. Number two, we, we have the superficial hearers. In verse 13, notice them. They on the rock are they which when they hear, receive the word with, with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. Now the first thing that you're going to notice about the first three groups is the fact that they don't bring any fruit. Why? Because none of the first three groups are saved. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. It says that they received the word with joy. No, they, they sat in a service like many do, and they'll walk by the preacher and say, that was a good message. But they walk out lost. They, they heard the message. They didn't have that much of a problem with being in there and and uh, at least that you can tell on the outside, but the message didn't find any entrance in them. The stony ground is not just ground that has rocks in it. Plenty of farmers have gone out into a field to stick their plow into the ground only to find that it was filled full of rocks. But this is not just ground that has rocks in it. Rather, this is, this is ground that is dirt a few inches thick, but underneath is a bedrock of, of stone. So the, the dirt is not very deep at all. 
And so <clears throat> what happens is the seed is sown. It germinates in this shallow ground. But because of the bedrock underneath that soil, it's unable to have any root that penetrates. And when the sun comes out, without a root system, every plant dies. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. And likewise, this plant gets scorched, and very quickly so. And so they, they, they don't have water, they don't have a root system, they can't survive. The problem with the superficial hearer is he's ready to follow whatever seems to offer to him or her the greatest benefit. Now let me tell you about the superficial hearer a little bit. The superficial hearer is the person who comes along, they, they, they look like a Christian, they may talk like a Christian, uh, they, may, they may act that way, even though it's, <laughs> it, Christianity is so blended in with the world now, you can't tell, you can't tell a Christian from the world hardly until you, until you really get into a church that has some standards and convictions. But here the superficial Christian is. The superficial Christian is the one who goes through the religious, uh, all the religious exercise of whatever their religion prescribes. Whatever it is, they go ahead and they get involved in that. That would be the vast overwhelming majority of people in churches around the world today. They, they are in their church. They're, they're okay with it. It's their church. And, and they may serve in their church doing many, many things. You ask them, are you sure that if you died today that you have a home in heaven? The answer oftentimes, if they're being truthful with you, is, well, I hope so. We were out door knocking. Oh, I don't know, this three, four years ago now. And uh, Pastor Tyler Davis, who was on our staff, he, uh, he told me about this incident where he came and he knocked on the door and a, a, a young adult man answered the door. And, uh, and Tyler began to engage him in conversation. Found out that this man, this young man, the youth director of one of the largest churches in our area. And uh, that didn't faze Tyler, you know. He said, well, that's, that's interesting. Let me ask you this. Do you know for sure that if you died today, you have a home in heaven? And this, this man who oversees, no doubt, no doubt, knowing the church that he was involved with, no doubt if he is the youth director, he is overseeing a ministry of maybe at least 1,000 or 2,000 teenagers. Big responsibility. And his answer to Pastor Davis was, well, I hope so. And I'm telling you something, boy, all kinds of red flags fly up on that. And, and in his mind, in, in Pastor Davis's mind was, I mean, it, 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 it caused him to, 
he said, man, that kind of made me just kind of step back first. You're in front of this many young people and their souls are in the balance and you're not sure you have a home in heaven? But listen to me. This is the superficial hearer. The superficial hearer who wants to look good by coming in and being part of a church. This is my church. This is what I do. I'm involved in this, and I'm involved in that, and I'm involved in the other thing. And yet they're not saved. They just have church. And you run into them, don't you, those of you that are in our gate ministry, and you go out and you're knocking on some doors, and you run into these people. They're the superficial hearers. The very first thing that comes out of their mouth, you knock on their door. Hi. I'm Pastor Gary Randall from Elmwood Baptist Church. We're just in the neighborhood. We're inviting folks out for, for church services. And, and do you have a church home in Brighton, Colorado? And, and the very first thing out of their mouth is not, yeah, I've trusted Christ as my personal Savior. I go to such and such a church. That's not what they say. The very first thing that comes out of their mouth is, I'm a Catholic. I'm a Lutheran. I'm an Episcopalian. I'm a, I'm a Methodist. I'm... I'm, 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 what, I'm a Baptist. Boy, my pastor, I wish he was here. I'd have him stand up and say what he said often when I was being discipled and brought up. He'd say, you know, listen, uh, there's enough Baptists in hell to give any denomination a run for its money. But the first thing that they'll run to is, I'm a... Wait a minute. I'm a Baptist by conviction. I know why I'm a Baptist. I'm a Baptist because before they were ever called Baptists, they were, they were following the doctrine of the Word of God, the same doctrine that I'm following in 20 and 19. That's why I'm a Baptist. Now, that's a title of identification. But you know what I am first? If you came and knocked on my door, Barry, and said, Hi. I'm Barry from Elmwood Baptist Church. Do you have a church home? I'm not going to, the first thing that I'm going to tell you is, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a born-again Christian. Why? Because that's the most important thing to me. The, I, listen, I love Elmwood Baptist Church. It's an unusual church because it has an unusual pastor, Brent. It's unusual. Because it's traditional. Because it's church the way it used to be. But that's the most, listen, as, 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 as great as that is, the most important thing to me is that I'm a born-again child of God. I'm not going to heaven because I pastor Elmwood Baptist Church. I, listen, I, there's nothing that counts toward salvation that I'm doing as a Christian. Because there's nothing for me to do, Brother Ken. It's all been done. I, I'm, just, I'm just happy that I can accept what Jesus has already done for me. But the superficial hearer, well, my, they could be the most religious person you've ever run into in your life. And yet, they're not saved. 
Here's, here's the problem. They had their emotions stirred, but they made no real commitment to Christ. That happens a lot. It happens a lot. They only follow Jesus so far as it makes things better or more prosperous for them. Here's a sad reality. There are people in the superficial hearer category that use churches as, a, as a, an opportunity to further their business. Now, we pray for Christian businesses that are represented in our church family. And I haven't picked up on, on really any of that and I don't think there's necessarily thing any wrong with, with some people talking about something business-wise. I don't have a problem with that. But some people who are not saved just use churches as a population center so that they can further their prosperity. That's what I don't like. And the superficial hearers like that. The truth is, is that God has promised to be with us they, they, they want to be someplace where they're always prospering. Well, listen, Christianity isn't like that. You know, with every mountaintop experience that we have, there's a valley that we go through. And guess what? There's more fruit that grows in the valley than grows on the mountaintop. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. And Christian, you learn more when you're in the valley than you learn when you're on the mountaintop. So listen, sometimes we have to go through some things because our Heavenly Father knows that we need to be matured. And we get matured in Christ. Our Christianity grows when we're in the valley trusting the Lord. And so, the superficial hearer Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Superficial hearers don't do that. Let me, uh, let me also explain a cross. A cross is not cancer. A, a cross is not some crippling disease. A cross is something that you walk over and you pick up and you put upon yourself. Nobody goes and says, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take a little cancer, give me a little muscular dystrophy, give me... No, nobody would ever choose those things. But a cross is something you choose. And by the way, when you go over and pick up your cross, you're picking up and you're identifying with the death of Christ. You're dying to self. You see, the, the, the Christian, the genuine born-again child of God, knows that the Lord is going to take care of him in the valley, on the mountaintop, and everywhere in between. 
And they know that, and they trust him. But they deny themselves to simply follow the Lord rather than following the world. Superficial hearers all over the place. Probably the biggest group. But then we come to the third hearer in Luke 8, 14. This is the material hearer. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. In other words, the word is choked to death. Now, three things choke out the word. And they are the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the pleasures of life. There are many, listen to me, there are many who begin well and it looks like they're believers. But pretty quick, the love of the world and the concern that they have for things in their life and the pleasures of this life that all of a sudden they find are running maybe in opposition to what they're hearing preached from the pulpit, all of a sudden, they realize, this is not for me. You see, those people, those people oftentimes are the ones that are taken advantage of by all these charlatan ministries that are from one end of America to the other. You know, these people that get sucked into, you know, send me some money and I'll send you a prayer cloth that I used to wipe my brow and you can have that. People who are at these meetings, if you need to be healed, And you know something, beloved? All of this stuff is staged. It's staged. There's not a bit of truth in it. Let me tell you something. Brother Richard told me this morning when I came in, spoke with him a couple words, he said, Jerry's got a cold, okay? Neil's got an issue going on internally. Eddie has some things going on. We pray for him. Why? Because the Lord is the great physician. The Lord's the great physician. I know the apostles went about healing everybody, raising people from the dead. We don't have that anymore, and the reason why is because, let me borrow your Bible, because that which is perfect has come. We don't have these sign gifts any longer. They were legitimate. But they had their life. And as soon as the Bible was, canon of Scripture was complete, God holds this word above his own name. That's how, that's how important the Bible is that sits on your lap. So whether it's Jerry or whether it's Neil or whether it's Betty, whoever it might be, if she gets over that cold, do you know who healed her? The Lord did. The Lord did. Do you know if Neil gets over this, you know who healed him? The Lord did. 
The Lord is going to get the glory for this. Why? Because we don't need divine healers. You know, it's one thing to say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm just another Christian. Sure, I'll pray for you. Sure, I'll pray for you. But listen, I don't have any better access to the throne of God than you have. And you know something, beloved? We ought to pray for one another. But at the end of the day, when there's a healing, someone's back amongst us feeling better, it's because God answered your prayer. It's because the great physician is the one who did the miraculous. If God didn't do that, a common cold would kill us. We'd get the flu, and that'd be the end of us. But God intervenes. That's the way it is. But you know, these, these folks that, that fall into the category of the material here, oftentimes they're looking for something that is going to prosper them. Something that's really going to uh, really take hold because they're worried about how that they're going to make it in this life and, 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 and the deceitfulness of riches. I, I wouldn't even want to know how many Christians go and, and, and buy lottery tickets. And by the way, you can't buy lottery tickets with your money. Because all the money is God's. There is no, it's like the government. Well, you know, we could get this government, you know, this government subsidy. There is no such thing. The government doesn't have any money. They have our money. The government doesn't do anything to deserve money. They have our money. Okay, just a point made. But I'll tell you something. How many take God's money and go out and gamble it. By the way, the biggest gamble is the lottery. And, and they take God's money. They won't tithe, but they'll, they'll take God's money and they'll go out and buy lottery tickets. Why? Because they are a material hearer. Because they're more caught up in the materialistic things of this life that they are interested in living for God. And so what they're looking for is they're looking for something better. You know, were these, were, were, were these people saved? No, they weren't saved. They, they just got on board like, like all the others. And they're looking for something that is going to prosper them, prosper them. And so if, if, if Benny Hinn says, hey, if you... Send me in ten dollars. I'll play. Pray that God makes you a millionaire, or you know any of these, any of these guys. And by the way, gals, the materialistic hero is always going to be drawn to the materialistic. I hate to even say it, materialistic preacher. Always about always about money and for them it's always about money are these folks saved I mean uh, are they saved no no these 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 people were lost 
lost. But I'll tell you something. They, 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 did they lose their salvation? No. They never had it in the first place. They never had it. They had something that looked like it. But it never changed them. And there was never any fruit. Listen, is it possible for a born-again believer to become so tempted by sin, overwhelmed by affliction, choked by the worries of the world, the pleasures of life? Is it possible for that Christian to lose their salvation? Absolutely not. By the way, let's correct our verbiage. It is not our salvation. It's his salvation. John chapter 3 says, Jesus said, once a person is born again by the Spirit, they'll never perish. They'll never perish. The question is whether or not one can lose their salvation, or not that it, someone can lose their salvation, but whether or not they even were saved in the first place. James 4 and verse 4, the Bible says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Think of it. Many who are called backslidden today have, are, are more, have more likely never been saved in the first place. And we say they're backslidden. Do you know the longest backslide that we find in the Bible is King David, the length of the pregnancy of, of Bathsheba? And yet we run into situations where it seems like so-and-so has been backslidden for 13 years, 25 years. Wait a minute, that's not possible. The Holy Spirit of God's conviction is intense. Listen, let me ask you a poll question. Raise your hand if you have experienced the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. Raise your hand. Well, guess what? You're a born-again child of God. Now, you get crossways in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, and guess what next thing is going to happen to you? The Holy Spirit of God is going to be all over you like a duck on a bug, and you're not going to get away from it. Listen to me. I've, I've, been, to the, I've been to the woodshed. I've carved my initials there. If you go to the woodshed, look for my initials. I know what it is to get out of fellowship with God. You say, Pastor, oh my goodness. Listen, I didn't, don't put me on the pedestal. I'm a Christian. There have been times in my life where I have gotten crossways with God. I think most Christians, if they didn't acknowledge that, they're liars. Now you are crossways with God. But I'll say to you right now, there has never been one single time that I have violated God's word, gotten out of sorts with God, that the Holy Spirit of God wasn't on me, and I knew it, and I was under conviction, and I've even tried to go a while in this state. And boy, I'll tell you something, beloved, it's miserable. 
It's miserable. If you're a born-again child of God, you can be happy in the Lord. Walk with Him. Fulfill what He desires. And boy, your life will be blessed. But if you're a born-again child of God and you get out of sorts, I'm telling you right now, the way you know you're born again is you feel that conviction and you can't get away from it. You've got to get right. You've got to get right. So that's, there, there you have it. A lot of these that claim to be saved, they're not. And you wonder, boy, I guess they must be backslidden for the last 25 years. I, listen, I don't think it's possible for a Christian to be able to endure spanking that long. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you do. Some of you are going, oh no, I better get saved today. I'm telling you, it's brutal. Isn't that right, Brother Chris? You and I have talked about this before. Oh man, I'll tell you. But with these folks, with three of these, there was... There was no repentance. There was no change, and there was no fruit. Quickly, we come to the fourth hero. These are the true hearers in verse 15. But that on good ground are they which in an honest, notice an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. That's a key phrase. Keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. This is the only hearer that were truly saved. They weed the garden of their heart. I'm preaching on the heart tonight. I, I believe a message that can be transformative in people's lives. You've got to keep your heart because God says for out of it come the issues of life. They weed the garden of their heart. They don't allow the weeds of evil to grow in their heart. They remove these things. They're careful what they watch. They're careful what they listen to. They, they're careful what they say. They're careful what they read. They're careful Christians. These hearers have a good and honest heart, Jesus said. Two distinguishing marks about these. Number one, they're truly saved. We see that they having heard the word, keep it. Number two, they produce fruit. They bring forth fruit, the verse says, with patience. With patience. Almost every Saturday that we've had gate ministry, we've had someone saved. Last, yesterday was no exception. From, from the prayer and prep team praying for everyone going out to those that are going out and saturating, those that are following up, door knocking, and uh, those that do follow-up calls, we are doing exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ said for the church to do. And you know something? Christians that are involved in that kind of stuff are going to have fruit in their life. And whether you're, whether you're stuffing John and Romans into plastic bags or whether you're out in the highways and hedges, somebody gets saved, everybody gets the blessing. Everybody had a part in it. 
And on judgment day, that'll show up. True hearers, they endure afflictions. They have trials in their lives. God allows the testing of, of, their, of their walk. Their body sometimes grows weary. Sometimes they even get depressed. Sometimes their flesh wins the battle. Sometimes their thought life isn't what it should be. Sometimes their love for Christ is tested. Sometimes they go through really dry spells in their Christian life. But with patience, they keep God's word. They read it. They listen to it. John 10, 27, Jesus says, and I close, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. What, hearer, what kind of hearer are you? Unconcerned? Spiritual things just bounce off you. You're not really interested. Superficial? Just a, a, a superficial hearer, you're just, you're just there for the show. Material, I'm looking, for, I'm looking for a religion that'll make me rich or make me prosper. Or are you a true hearer? A true hearer produces fruit. Father in heaven, I pray this morning. That again, you'd take your word and that you would make application to my life. Truth of the matter is, there's probably all four hearers in this room today. There's probably some folk that really genuinely need to get saved. And then, Heavenly Father, I just, I just pray that, that, Lord, you would make that come to pass because there's no shame in in coming to the place and realizing, boy, I need Christ. And I pray this morning that, Lord, that would happen. And I prayed early this morning that it would happen. And I prayed right before I came into this sanctuary that that would happen. I'm praying now that that would happen. For your glory. And I pray for Christians who the truth of the matter is, they're, they're true hearers. But right now, they're going through some things, possibly. And I pray for them that they would, that they would just hang on with patience. The road might be a little rough right now for them. They might be going through a dry spell. There might be something they're facing. Lord, I pray that they go to an old-fashioned altar and spill it all for you, Lord. Holding on to you. Where else would we go but to the Lord? Bless this invitation as only you can. I ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please stand.